Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. My guest this week, Patrick Lombardi, was born and raised in New Jersey, where he still lives and writes for a variety of local and national sites like bestofnj.com, nj.com, and BuzzFeed. His collection of humorous stories and essays, Junk Sale, came out in 2018. He's also the creator of devournj.com, which highlights independent food businesses in New Jersey, and the companion New Jersey Food Truck Cookbook, which was just released in February. Patrick talks to me about how he decided to focus on his writing, the challenges of writing humor, including judging feedback for humorous prose, and why it's so important to engage in your art, whatever it might be. We also talk about his decision to start a website for local food and how he manages all of this on top of a day job and family life with an almost brand new baby. I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Patrick Lombardi. Patrick, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. So I start everybody out with the same question. Were you always a creative kid or did you find your creative side later on in life? I I would definitely say that I was a creative kid growing up. I uh, was always, I, I think if, if you had asked me that question, if I had answered it as a child, I would have a different response and I would say, absolutely not. I'm not creative. But looking back on myself as a kid now, I definitely was a creative kid. I really enjoyed drawing and writing and music and all that. So I would certainly say that's something that's grown a lot over the years, but it, it really, it really existed even when I was in elementary school. Did anybody encourage that or was it just, oh, it's just a kid thing. No big deal. Um, it, there, there was, I would say my, my parents, I, I came from, even if my parents don't agree, they certainly are creative individuals and the number one thing being music and super into music growing up. And my mother, actually, when she moved to America, she played piano. My grandma signed her up for piano lessons up until she was about 18, I think. And then my dad played drums as a kid. So they, they also just loved music. There was always music playing in the house and the car. And that was the, the big, I think that was the big spark that got everything going. And also my mom drew I think she did more so before I was born, but then I remember in school she would draw stuff for me and like little, little, not even doodles, but like cartoons and and stuff like that. So they they definitely are creative individuals, and I I would say maybe indirectly so encourage that. I never felt discouraged from it. So were you a musician since you grew up with musicians, or did you just kind of absorb it through the the ether? Yeah, I, I guess I more so absorbed it. I started teaching myself, I think it was nine or so. And my aunt got me one of those uh, keyboards. I, it, it, there really weren't many keys on it. I think it was, wasn't a synthesizer. It was a little bit bigger than that, maybe 50 or fewer keys than that. And I started teaching myself piano on there. And then after that, a few years after that, I started learning guitar. So I was teaching myself guitar. And then I bought like a very crappy old drum kit. And I started teaching myself that, but I, by that point I was a little bit older and I'm just terrible at drums, but otherwise <laughs> yeah, I, I started uh, learning instruments. And so I, I wouldn't classify myself as a musician, but it's certainly something I enjoy at least noodling around with. Well, I noticed the guitar on your wall, so. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> it's in the shot. Oh, it is. Yeah, I got a couple oh, there. there's two. <laughs> So were you writing a lot as a kid then? Yes. So I, I, I don't remember what age it was when we really started to get into those. Um, they gave us like hardcover books and they were blank. They, it was a white cover, white back cover, uh, hardcover. And then they had just white blank pages, no lines in them. And it almost almost resembled a sketchbook, but it really looked and it was in the shape of what picture books are for kids, mm -hmm. hardcover picture books. And so every year we do have one assignment where we would write and it would be a particular assignment for a particular story. And we would write either our own version or kind of copy what the, the teacher did for us and we'd draw in there as well. So I remember doing that as a kid and really, really enjoying it. And then I think it was around eight or so when we could finally start to put some 
words together, sentences, or maybe a little bit more advanced than that. Uh, at eight years old, I can't really remember, but I wrote a story about my pet turtle, like just on my own. I did it. And so I would do little goofy little stories like that. And I, I had a lot of fun doing it. I think those goofy little stories are sometimes the most fun. Yes. Because you're eight. They don't have to make sense. No one expects them to make sense. And and they're sort of like your own personal Mad Libs that way. You know, you just throw words in there and say, look, it's a story. Because I remember doing that too. I wrote a story about having the chicken pox when my brother had it. Little did I know I was next. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, did... Did anybody react to your story like in a positive way or did they just kind of say it's an eight-year-old story? It doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> that that was kind of the exact response. I would always show my mom first and for whatever reason, because I perpetually didn't get a, like a, a positive response, it would always be, oh, well, you know, this isn't possible. Right? Well, yeah, I know, I, like, I guess, but I was just doing doing a story, but it's kind of, it's funny now to look back on I actually get a little bit of amusement out of it that my mom like I would show my mom stuff and and then I would get the response oh wh wh why did you write this <laughs> like as if <laughs> like as if I was giving away a secret family recipe or something and um so it was good I mean they were they were certainly encouraging parents more a, a lot so now with the writing that I do now but um but I, I I would always get those types of responses and I always thought that was pretty funny Maybe not at the time. I was going to say, it's easier to put them in perspective <laughs> now than it is when you're eight. <laughs> yes. So then did you keep writing in high school? Yeah, I, I did slow down at one point. I think that was more so around middle school where I, or maybe even a little bit sooner than that, because uh, we had intermediate school five and six, and then seven, eight was middle school. And I, I think somewhere around there, I re really wasn't reading much, and I was a big was a voracious reader as a child going through, you know, uh, the Magic Treehouse books, I remember. And even sooner than that, there were some picture books and then uh, Series of Unfortunate Events and Goosebumps. And I was really into those. And then once I got to, yeah, around middle school or so, I just wasn't reading as much. I wasn't writing as much. And then I think once I got to high school was where I started reading again. But I was reading more, you know, Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft as a, as a young teenager. And that's when I started getting into Harlan Coben and, and mysteries and thrillers like that, too. Wow. Is there one of those that you think has been the biggest influence on you? Oh, that, that's hard to choose. I guess so. I, I, I would say of what I mentioned, I, I'd probably say Stephen King. It's hard to pick because I, I did really have uh, a lot of interest. I really love the H.P. Lovecraft stories a lot. and. Um, then reading on writing by Stephen King really significantly helped. And I think it, it put a lot of things into perspective and was really interesting learning about his life, but then also his process and, and how, how his stories sort of come to be. And so that had a huge influence. And I, early on, actually in high school, I wrote a couple horror short stories. I, I'm never capable of writing a full novel. I don't know if I just don't have the talent or the attention span. I don't know what it is. I just can't do it. So uh, I'll, I'll write short stories and essays and stuff like that. So I had kind of almost started doing horror. And then that's something that for the first time in years, I revisited uh, this past November for NaNoWriMo. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll try this out this year. And I was writing horror short stories again. And it really, I kind of felt like I was back in high school where I was reading Stephen King and more consistently and, and all those uh and all those authors. So I, I would say that he certainly had a big influence on me. And then as we got into college, I think it was college, or maybe it was end of high school when I got into David Sedaris and humor. And college was more so where I was writing that humor. And that's where all those stories and the essays from my first book really came from was college and you know that that influence. And so did you have good outlets in college? Like, did you get the school paper or a literary magazine or anything like that? Or were you just doing this on your own? I, I was doing it on my own. Yeah, I, I know I submitted a couple of things to the literary, literary magazine, but I never, I, as far as I know, I never, I think I got rejected from, <laughs> from anything I submitted. So nothing I don't think ever published. But so pretty much everything was on my own or for an assignment in class. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, especially in the classes where we would read out loud our pieces, 
I um, see. I would see what kind of responses I would get from that from that humor, and um, and that really encouraged me to keep trying and improving my work, seeing what fell flat, and then what would get a good response. And then I mean, it would be, sometimes you think you'd have an excellent line, a, a hilarious joke, and just crickets, nothing, no response. And then you'd have a line that was just trivial, felt trivial when you were writing it and would get a huge laugh. And, and so it was, it was a lot of fun being able to, to really figure out what made more people laugh, what, what uh, evoked more of an emotion than, than other things. So it was, that, that was a lot of fun to put together. So between the two, was, some stuff was creative on my own and then others for an assignment on the class, in a class. It's such an interesting point how having an actual audience and reading it out loud changes everything about how you see what you've written about how you understand how it's received and and yet you know some of the humor could be in the way that you read it so how do you you know how do you figure out was it just because i read this line this way or was it something else but but it's fascinating because with humor in particular you you really kind of need that feedback in a way that you might not if you're just writing straight fiction or news stories. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's an interesting concept trying to determine like exactly what you said, whether it's just the the line, the way it's written, it's funny, or if it's the inflection you put in your voice when you read it and what preceded it, what followed it, and and, and you know, what kind of increased that humor. And it's difficult. I would say that it's certainly difficult to determine uh, when you're reading it out loud, and but it's it's still absolutely invaluable because then you could really structure your writing as long as you you keep an open mind. You can really structure your content to. I, I wouldn't say. I mean, you don't want to put it into an equation where like, okay, this one-two punch that got a laugh. Okay, I'm going to do that every page mm-hmm. or so to try or every paragraph and try to repeat this kind of laugh every time it, I think there you, you kind of dig yourself into a hole and it's and that's difficult to get out of and but if you keep an open mind with things that work and things that don't work you really or, or what you perceive work and don't work um, then you your writing pretty much evolves over time and I think then you'll have a clearer understanding so those first couple of times reading to a group it might be difficult for you to determine, like you said, was it was it the line itself or was it was it how I read it? And then as you do it over time throughout a semester or a year or a couple of years in school or in a writing group, you'll start to get a significantly better feel. So I think over time is really the the the, the glue there or, or or whatever analogy I'm looking for that <laughs> that helps you. And it's it it's certainly um, it's certainly like I said, it's certainly invaluable to. I would encourage anybody to even join a writing group, even if it's not humor and yeah. really anything you could get, you could get a good feel. I, I, my wife is always my first reader and I don't read it out loud to her, but I give it to her and I make sure, you know, I always print everything out and I'm editing and then I'll change it on the computer. I'll print it out again and I'll go through however many drafts. And then finally, before I read it to the writer's group, I'll give it to her to get her reaction. It's predominantly humor. So I'm, I'm look, obviously looking for those laughs and that that's a good way to, to, for me at least to see what worked. Like if she chuckles, Oh, would you just read <laughs> or, or along those lines? So um, that, that's another thing. I mean, if you have that opportunity as a writer, it's definitely something to take advantage of just having somebody read it and they don't necessarily have to be a writer. They don't have to be a big reader. Um, I, I mean, preferably if they're at least a reader, but, they don't have to be a writer. I think a lot of times as writers, we look up to certain individuals who we think we perceive have a significant talent and we want to always get their feedback. But the, I guess the fact is that a lot of people who are going to be reading our stuff are readers themselves and not necessarily writers. So it's always good to get that kind of perspective too from people who, well, I'm no, I'm no good at writing. I can't pick out grammatical errors, but it's, it's really, you know, well, how did this piece make you feel? What, what stuck out to you? Right. What made you pause? And, and all that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's so interesting that so many people think that they have to have that particular skill set in order to just say what they thought about something. 
You know, it, I am not writing just for other writers. I'm writing for anybody who wants to pick this up and read it. So your point of view is just as valuable as somebody else's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting. So is your writing group tailored toward humor or is it a more general writing group? It, it's more general. So there's one writer in there, one other writer who writes humor as well. And then... Uh, some of them mix mix in humor into their pieces and they're hilarious when they do that too. It's uh, but it is general and it, they mostly write in nonfiction. I would say there, there's some fiction that, that pops up and most, I, I would, I think all of them write in write nonfiction and sometimes present fiction pieces, short fiction pieces. It's just interesting because one of the things that I have said on this podcast a lot is that not everybody is your audience. So it's it's kind of like, yes, there is definitely value in joining a writer's group. But if you're looking for something like, how do you react to this humorous piece? You know, you've got to have people who are your actual audience to get a really mm-hmm. good feel for that, which is why I wondered, because I would think that that might be easier in a group of people who write humor, though not necessarily, because not everybody's sense of humor is the same either. So I don't know if you've had experience where, you know, somebody just sits there and goes, I don't get it. You know, even in the writer's group. I mean, I think that that's got to be a pretty common experience for most people who are sharing their work, especially when it's something that is, I don't want to say tailored or meant for, but is likely to find more of its own particular audience than a more general thing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that you brought that up because it's something that you think about, especially when you have two people give you or multiple people give you conflicting feedback where something, Oh, this was hilarious. Oh, I think that fell flat. And, and sometimes it comes, you know, one way or the other. Sometimes the first response you hear, the first piece of feedback you hear is uh, you brought this up, but I don't think that really worked. And then the next was that, Oh, well, I thought it was hilarious. And then sometimes personal say, oh, I think this is hilarious. And then the next bit of feedback was, oh, I, I don't think that worked. I didn't get it. Or So it, kind of what you said. And I, I think that really, depending on the order it comes in, really messes with you. And then at, at a point, do you change it? Or do you maybe let it sit for a while and then come back to that piece or maybe get more people's feedback? And um, especially when it's, you know, you don't know who, if the people you're reading to are necessarily going to be your audience, if this were to be published in a in a journal or or in a book itself, either a collection of your own or with a, an anthology with other people, you don't know. There, there are a lot of different ways you could kind of try to wrap your head around. I think you almost, at least myself, I'll drive myself nuts <laughs> trying trying to think about like, oh, well, this person said it was funny, um, because then there's there's the idea that you shouldn't. I, I think David Sedaris David Sedaris said this. You might have a funny line, you might have a joke, and you don't, but you don't want to build an essay around that. Because then you'll wind up, you, you most likely will wind up compromising your entire piece. And if you cut out that laugh, you can potentially build a much stronger piece from what's left over. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing to consider. Because if somebody said it didn't feel, uh, if, it fe- if somebody said it felt flat, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not funny. But I think you can go back and sort of look at that piece with, I guess, a different perspective or different eyes. That's why I try to leave my pieces as long as possible to sit. I mean, there's stuff that I've written two plus years ago that I haven't even looked at yet just because, I, I mean, I think that's excessive. <laughs> I think anything more than a year is probably excessive. But uh, if, if you let, I think Stephen King said a month, let it sit for at least a month. I, I've heard other writers say three months, six months, but you know, the whole idea is you go back to it as a reader yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you could go back to it and even not remember what anybody said about that particular piece or that particular line or joke or paragraph um, and, and look at it with your own eyes and not see an issue or do see an issue and you change it, I, I think that's that's kind of your best best bet there because essentially somewhere down the line, the, the hope is that you're going to get maybe an agent and get an editor and then these people will will give you another Mm-hmm. a whole other perspective on it that you have to consider so it's yeah it's it's definitely something that 
informs you as a as a writer that you like you said you don't want to be cognizant of every you're not writing for everybody so how do you sort of filter through that audience and that feedback that you get and i mean as as the years go on like i said a, a little bit before you sort of build that that own wisdom or knowledge of of what feedback to get i mean in in college at least early on the feedback a lot of times i would get was oh this isn't long enough and i would be like oh, okay i gotta flesh this out but come to realize years later when you get that sort of feedback i feel like that's almost one I, I almost don't even think that's criticism i think it's a lot of the time a compliment because the reader wants to know more mm -hmm. about this whole subject and you're leaving the reader wanting more not necessarily that it's incomplete and sometimes either that's the the result of that you know that's the intent behind the, the criticism and then other times it's well i didn't know what else to say so maybe <laughs> the relatively short piece maybe it needs to be longer so um that was just an example but certain feedback like that you kind of learn to to where to where to kind of put it into a folder in your mind and be like okay well this is not necessarily trash but <laughs> i don't right. i don't really need this right now yeah and it's interesting because you know you kind of alluded to this a minute ago the like when you hear about you know movies that ended differently because a focus group didn't like the original ending and whatever it's like mm. it's so easy to decide that every piece of feedback that somebody gives you is valid and act on it and completely lose yourself in the process and completely lose track of what you were actually trying to do. And, and it just becomes, you know, this hodgepodge that doesn't really hang together because it's got too many different people's opinions pulling at it from too many different directions. Oh yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that, that's the, that's the downside I think of, I want to go get lots of feedback, right? Like you, you have to find the balance, even in a writer's group or with your family and your friends or whoever it is. It's like, I think you have to figure out who's likely to give you the best feedback, but mm -hmm. also you got to figure out where you're actually right, no matter what somebody else tells you, because this is the vision you have for this piece of work. And I, I'm not sure you can teach people how to do that. I think you kind of have to learn it by trial and error. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 somewhat being resilient and believing in yourself. But then I think as writers, we're inherently doubtful of ourselves and question question our abilities and our talents all the time. No matter, I mean, no matter how much positive feedback we get, because that sometimes doesn't measure up to the one rejection or the the bit of criticism that we receive so it's 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 absolutely like you said finding those people those individuals who will look more closely at their or will take their criticism a little bit more into consideration than other individuals or you know for any any number of reasons and i think a, a lot of times we benefit from taking the feedback that's constructive and i i almost don't feel i mean because sometimes I'll get feedback on things that I should have done differently that I can't change. So mm -hmm. if it was a book that I published, oh, well, you should have structured it this way. Or I'm like, well, I, I can't go back and <laughs> can't go back. Right? At least now I can't do that. And, um, and, and so in those instances rarely help for the future. Some, sometimes they do, but a lot of times is specific to that particular project. So um, if you find people who give you particularly constructive criticism that you respect, I mean, that, that helps because I, I, if I'm, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. Sometimes I'll look at criticism that's not constructive whatsoever and is just straight negative. And I'm like, well, that person has a point and, <laughs> but, ch but chances are they, they don't, they're just, you know, they could be in a particular mood on that day, or they just not into humor or whatever genre I've written or not into those subject matter you, you know really any any number of reasons they could be giving bad feedback with no no bit of helpfulness whatsoever so i think um i i say this now to hopefully help <laughs> or assist writers in some way and then the next time i get negative feedback tomorrow i'll be like well that person's right i should just quit <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world to tell yourself that that's the solution. It's like, yes. no, no, I could live a perfectly happy life, never touching a keyboard again. I can <laughs> go to work like everybody else, come home like everybody else, do what everybody else does. And yet, I think if we made that choice, we'd be pretty disappointed with ourselves. And probably, yes. I don't think it would take very long. No. Yeah, you start Jones in, it's like, well, I got to write something. I got this just happened to me. I got, I got this idea. Yeah. It'll do, and I mean that extends to to art too. I mean, if you're a painter or mm-hmm. or if you're a musician, it's like, all right, well, enough people have told me I'm not good at this. I should stop, and then within a couple of days, I mean, I can't imagine that a lot of artists and musicians and writers would be okay with with yeah. not not doing that anymore. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the, the there are are millions. It might be a slight exaggeration, but there are an awful lot of stories of people who are famous for their art who were told at some point that they should never, ever do this thing again. Yeah. So, you know, if you I think if you're getting something out of it, even if everybody else hates it, you should still keep doing it. You never know when you'll have your breakthrough moment. And even if you don't, you'll feel better because you still did your thing anyway. Yeah, it's that perseverance, that diligence, the craft, and it's really the passion behind it. And I think a lot of times, even if you look at um, even indie musicians, I mean, they're not signed with a major record label, but that doesn't make their work. uh, It goes for authors as well. And I mean, that doesn't make their work any less significant or their talent doesn't diminish their talent whatsoever. I mean, some some phenomenal musicians just aren't signed and and it's either not their time yet, or I, I, I don't know the, the number of different circumstances there could be, but if, if they just stop doing what they're doing, I mean, it, it, it they're going to really do themselves a disservice. And even if you don't have a ton of fans, I mean, you're going to do them a disservice as well because they get an enjoyment out of your music or out of your writing. So even if it's a handful of people or just your immediate family, or just yourself, I think that that's just art is so uh, therapeutic. There's so many benefits. And I mean, as stressful, I'm sure you know the feeling as stressful as it could be being in front of a keyboard sometimes, that just the ability to be able to do that, whether it's every day or once a week or whatever you give, but however much time you give yourself, I, I think it's just, it, 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 it can't be overstated. And I, I remember listening to not too long ago i was listening to to one of your podcasts where art is it's going to save i think i'm butchering the quote but art is going to save us all yes and yes and I know uh, that's absolutely it, that's absolutely the truth that's that's i mean there are a number of other things that are going to save but art is i mean no matter how much you try to reject it or or put yourself down i mean it's really could be life-saving and it it, it really I mean, it's existed for how many, how many centuries and it's, it, it's, it's vital. Yeah. And for anybody who's wondering that episode is the Dominic Shortino episode. So, which is one of my favorites because he's such a great advocate for everybody doing something artistic. Mm-hmm. You know, Dom is a guy I've known since high school. He's a barber by day and he does all of these other things in his spare time. And it's amazing. So, you know, if he can do it, so can you. <laughs> and he's great at convincing people oh yeah even I, I haven't even spoken to him before but just after listening to that podcast I'm like oh I, I could do anything you know you just feel so yeah. encouraged and I think that's I, I think that's crucial for anybody who has any and, and I, I don't like to hear people say well I'm not creative I'm, you know it's easy for you because you're you have that that gene or, or, or whatever it is but maybe people aren't don't have that the same levels of creativity or talent, but that I really, like I said, like it just doesn't diminish your abilities because whatever it brings to you, any type of positivity, that's it's, it's vital. I mean, if you're drawing stick figures while you're talking on the phone, I mean, that's, that's art and it's mm-hmm. don't, don't try to define it, but that's, that's if, if it's bringing some clarity, if it's helping you concentrate, whatever it is, it, I think it's just, it's crucial. Yeah. And I, I am, rapidly reaching the conclusion that creativity is not about talent or, you know, skill or anything like that, that it's really about belief 
that you are are capable of creating something and that it's worth your time to do it and that you are worthy of having that experience. That's my personal current conclusion, (laughs) which is a little different than what a lot of people say. But I think really, you know, people who believe that they're not creative believe that because somebody told them that. Mm -hmm. It's not because they have no ability because I don't think you can be human and have no creative ability. You know, I think we're born with it. And and that's that. It's a, it's really a matter of whether or not you believe that it's okay for you to sit down and draw a picture or play something on the piano or whatever. The number of people who try to tell me that they're not creative is just mind boggling. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just have to find it. I, I think a lot of us who are, or maybe I should just speak for myself. I think the only reason that I can look back and say that I've been creative was because I'm kind of a spiteful person uh, to the point where if somebody said, oh, you can't do that. I mean, I had a teacher who told me I couldn't play guitar. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got to play guitar now. So then I went and I, I taught myself to to play guitar. And then uh, it, it's sort of that, that, that spitefulness, I, I guess. There's probably a better word for it, but the stubbornness that uh, people will tell us, well, we can't do something. And just some of us react differently. Sometimes it's a person you really, really respect and it hits very hard. And then you don't want to do what you're doing, you know, whether it's drawing or, or whatever craft you're in, you don't want to further it because you just, you know, you respect that person and their opinions and you take that as fact rather than just somebody's view because of a given mood on a particular day wrong place, wrong time. Mm -hmm. Or you, not that you don't respect somebody, but you don't take what they say um, to heart all the time. And then you're like, well, you said I can't do that. So now I have to, I have to do it. And I think at least for me, that was a big driving force Um, for other, other artists. I'm sure other artists are that way too, where they've, they've perfected their craft or maybe not, not necessarily perfected it, but because that's subjective, but they've really improved their craft in their artwork because somebody told them that they couldn't do it. So, yeah, um, I mean, I think, I think it's healthy to have a good dose of I'll show you kind of energy, you know, cause that's really what that is. Right. And that's, that's kind of why reverse psychology works. You know, you tell yeah. the right person, yeah, you can't do that just to see if they'll say, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do the <laughs> best thing I can do. <laughs> you know, But I, <laughs> I think that's really healthy because otherwise it's way too easy to listen to people who say, yeah, I'm sorry. That's like the fifth bird you've tried to draw and they're all terrible. And this bird thing and the drawing thing is just not for you. Maybe you should go play soccer instead, (laughs) you know? And, and I mean, for some people, soccer is the thing. And, you know, I mean, I think, think there's creativity and all of that stuff, but, you know, I think you really need to have that energy, especially if you feel like, no, I really want to write. This is the thing I love doing and I'm not going to let you take it from me. You know, you have to protect that part of yourself because if you don't, I think that's where a lot of misery comes from is people who believe that they can't do the thing that they really love to do because somebody said, and so they try to plot along without it. And then they wonder why something does just never seems right. It's like, well, yeah, because you gave up on that part of yourself. understandably but still yeah yeah for sure i mean as as we get older our priorities get different or you know and i was talking to a a friend about this recently where i mean we sort of sometimes rank things in our mind so even if somebody didn't necessarily tell us that our our writing is terrible we just kind of come to the conclusion well i'm not making any money from it and i gotta i gotta work full time i have a family to support or or whatever your situation may be i gotta pay rent i gotta pay my car insurance i gotta you know i have bills i can't i can't focus on writing words or writing music or painting because that that's just not i can't i can't send that to psc and g that they're not going to keep my power on if, if i say well you know i painted this really nice painting that nobody wants to buy so but the thing is, we we just we I feel like we lose a bit of ourselves if we cut that out. It's just not it's not good for our mental health. And no matter how much we try to, well, that you know, on my list of important uh, elements of my life, uh, writing is down at number eight. So I have seven other things I have to prioritize before I get to my writing. But I mean, 
I guess that goes into the entire argument about mental health. And some, sometimes, even specifically for ourselves, we just don't mm-hmm. give it a lot of uh, thought sometimes. And I think tied into that is our art and our passions. And it doesn't necessarily have to be art. I keep naming the same three right. art forms, but it really goes into woodworking. Or mm-hmm. I, I mean, as I get older, I realize that there's creativity in just, just about everything. There's art in, in just about everything. And some things are a little bit more analytical and than other things and I, I mean but i don't think we should classify it i think whatever brings you a certain amount of happiness or whatever you're passionate about i think that's something you can dive into i mean if you're passionate about watching television and <laughs> I, I, that's that's you know something right there and if it brings you joy and i, I think that's something that you dive into whether or not you're making money or whether or not it ranks in your top three of most important things in your life and um, I, I think I think that's important that we we don't just write that off, whether or not somebody told us yeah. that we should. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm sure you're shocked. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, and I think that, yeah, whatever you're passionate about is your art. Yes. You know, so, you know, and, and that's part of why I have made sure that I talk to people who do things on this podcast that are not things that people think of as creative, like mathematicians you know and and accountants and you know what whatever else comes out like there's there's art in all of that Mm -hmm. and we just don't recognize it and then you know you get that cultural message that says oh but we need mathematicians we don't need painters i'm like really have you ever walked into a house that has no art on the wall (laughs) really Also, I am a big fan of the electric company taking paintings as payment. I think that would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to hold my breath for it, but I think it would be fantastic. You just walk into the office and it's just nonstop. Just just endless floor to ceiling paintings of post-impressionalism and... Right. I mean, think about how much money they could make selling the paintings that people would give them that would pay all of their bills. It would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They're making plenty of money anyway. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you because you had mentioned that, you know, you wish that you had started doing things on your own sooner than you actually did in terms of writing and freelancing. And I wondered if you could talk about that a little. Yeah, for sure. So I, um, I don't even know where to begin with that because <laughs> I, I, I can go in so many different directions. There's really, I, so, so to give a little bit of background, I started writing out of college in, in college. My intent was to go to law school. So I had a law and justice uh, minor. And then I wind up dropping that around my senior, uh, no, I'm sorry, not senior year, sophomore year, because I just was, I didn't have the interest. And I also didn't, I just couldn't take on that debt for three more years of school. So I, everything considered, but mostly it was just not, not for me. I was realizing that law becoming an intern, that just wasn't, that wasn't for me. So I wind up dropping that and really went full into the writing because I didn't, I mean, as a, however old I was, 19 or 20, didn't realize like, oh, well, why don't I just pick another minor? I'm thinking like, oh, I can't do that. So I got to just, I got to go full force into my major. So I wind up, even as electives, I was taking English courses and write, it was a concentration in writing. So there weren't too many literature courses, but you know, as, as a consequence, that's, that's what I had too. So I, I really went into that. And then when I graduated, I go, well, what do I do now? So I started freelance writing. And at first it was writing for free until you built a portfolio mm-hmm. and so that you could do this or, or to show employers that you could actually write professionally. And then I started doing freelance writing, and then that's when I got into. From there, I had that experience that I could get into state state work um, in a particular field. So I wound up uh, continuing to write for uh, write freelance for different sites and you know whatever I could do. And it, there, there sometimes you come across instances where you want to do something a particular way, and you really have to report to somebody you have to answer to somebody and that's just the way it is like they have the final say and that's just that's how it goes and and for myself i really became accustomed to it because it wasn't it was inconsequential it would be i wanted this to be my intro and now it doesn't even exist in the entire article and 
a lot of times I, I always try to keep an open mind where, like, well, this person knows what they're doing. They know what they want to put out, but sometimes it's really just, it's maybe not necessarily their experience, but more so what, what they're going for is a different message, whether it's dollar signs or, or really just, or any, anything else. So I, I really always wanted to do my own blog or something. And, and I mean, it's, it's so accessible now. You can make a WordPress page or, or go on Wix site for, for absolutely for free. Mm-hmm. And you can make your own page and you could write whatever you want. And then you, you gain your, your followers. And well, I mean, that's the, that's the hope is you get your following or you just write to the same person over and over again. And so, but I, I guess I never really had the drive to do that. And, and I just continued to write freelance and just do, you know, what, what I was doing and you get into, I don't want to say that it was a rut, but that's essentially what it was, was, um, no, well, well, it really wasn't, it really wasn't a rut. It was just more so just being comfortable and just doing, you know, what I know to do. So one day I was talking to my wife and I like, I really wanted to do something. I was talking to my wife, Christine and, and she goes, well, you know, why don't you just start your own site? Like you, you have this clear vision, you could do this. And of course, just the mood I was in, I'm like, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? That's so ridiculous. I can't do this. I, I think she walks away. <laughs> 10 seconds. I'm standing there. I'm like, wait a second. I could do this. So I like track her down. I go, that's a great idea. I'm glad you gave me that. I could absolutely do this. So that's when I wound up founding uh, just recently devournj.com and made, I mean, right away that night I bought the domain. I had the idea for the, the the name of the site that I wanted. The, so I bought the domain name. I created most of the social media, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, I think. And, and so I really, it, it was, it was almost this release where, it, where it was, okay, I'm not going to make any money from this. Like I obviously with the freelance writing, I'm getting a check for this. I'm not going to get anything or at least for now. And, but it, it's just so much more rewarding to be able to do something on on your if you want to some people don't want to do anything on their own they really don't they don't have that passion whether it's they, they don't want the idea they don't want the responsibility i mean nothing particularly negative but some people just don't want that's just not mm-hmm. in the start they, they just don't want it so um but I, I mean if it's something that you you're thinking about for a number of years it's just so rewarding to to be able to say one, this is mine, but two, like I have the final set. Like I can't say like, oh, well, yeah, if, if uh, you know, it's got to go through this chain. So, you know, hopefully at the end, it looks the same as <laughs> what I'm presenting to you now is, is what the story is going to be or what, what the, the whole presentation is going to be like. So to be able to say, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going to go on the site. This is how many times I'm going to share it on Facebook. And, you know, I have 10 followers or however many followers I have, you know, they're going to see it. Hopefully they'll share it and it'll you know, you'll, you'll get some recognition. So the a little bit of background of the site is really uh, featuring all different kind of food entities, whether it's restaurants, food trucks, which is a, a series that I had been doing um, for five or six years, 2018, I guess I started. Um, so I'd like to feature food trucks and even food stands. I mean, whole, holes in the wall. It, it just is a spectrum of places that, and all the, the only criteria is that they have to be independent, independently owned. So no, you know, no McDonald's. I'm not going to go. All right, we're going to rank <laughs> the McDonald's all throughout New Jersey. None of that stuff. I want to like, actual people, uh, families, couples, mm-hmm. uh, even just individuals or people with partners. Uh, those those people, uh, regardless of what their their intents are, intentions are, because some of them will want to start a franchise. I'm sure down the line, but right now they're they're the sole proprietor and that that qualifies them to be on the site they have something and everybody has different backgrounds whether they went to culinary school so so i don't want to get too much into that but yeah essentially to speak more to your point it's really just this rewarding uh, part of my life now to be able to say oh yeah i this is you know i i have final say and um i i mean i'm working i'm doing it with my wife who is posted i mean she's just been extremely helpful in posting on social media and giving me ideas and stuff like that. So, I mean, not necessarily that I have no help whatsoever, but uh, I do have that assistance there, but it's still, you know, somebody who I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with personally, it, it is a great partnership and I still have that freedom 
even if I'm not doing it alone. And so to be able to do that, I don't think I could, I could speak enough to that. If, if you have that desire, I mean, if you don't think you could do it, find a way and do whatever you want. I, I mean, as long as it's legal and, and ethical. <laughs> right, right. Uh, With yeah. reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if it's a passion, if it's, if, if it's something, you know, improving your art or it, it just a business idea, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you should shy away. I think you should take the steps. And I mean, at the end of the day, you might come six months later of doing all this research and trying to come up with a plan and determine that this isn't whatever it is. It's just not feasible. That's a whole other story. But um, to speak more to doing your own thing, I, I just wish that I could have started this sooner. And uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't regret it because I could have gone another decade or I could have gone, you know, I, I could have been on my deathbed and, and said, oh, well, I, I, you know, I wish I started this website that I had. And, and, and that's certainly not the case. So it's, it's, it's absolutely something to consider if you're, whether you're an artist or, yeah, I mean, you could be working in IT or like you said, you could be an, account, an accountant and you just have these certain desires. And I mean, indulge them, like we said, within reason. Be a good person still, but yeah, <laughs> indulge those desires. We are not sanctioning illegal things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how did you decide to do food-related writing? Uh, that, I, I, I almost like, sort of fell into it. So I was doing the freelance writing. I was doing a lot of events coverage of, uh, and, and as a result of that journalism profession, I had to take on photography. So at, at the beginning, because I mean, most of these pieces, you, you got it. I, I talked to a lot of journalists who, who had worked in the industry for a number of years and they're like, yeah, well, all of a sudden I became a photographer because now I got to take the photos because of uh, financial constraints mm -hmm. within the papers themselves. And and all that stuff. So I quickly took on photography and then which enabled me to become an events writer and photographer. So I could take photos of the events, all different kinds of conventions, comic conventions, uh, uh, television show expositions and uh, food truck festivals, one of them and other outdoor festivals and events. So I wound up covering three events in a row and two of them, I would see Bearded One Barbecue and they're at a Monroe township now he has a spot and he just had a long line and i like i, I can't i'm kind of technically working so i can't wait in this line as much as i want to try that barbecue i just can't wait in this line so finally the third event it rained and i got there right before it started because it was supposed to be like the only opening the entire day and i was covering this event finally he had no line and i was <laughs> able to go up and talk to the owner chris Dario, and he was just a super cool guy I tried his barbecue and it was it's, it is phenomenal. And I go back to my editor, bestofnj.com, and I say, hey, you know, I, I think this would be a great story. I could take some photos of his food and interview him and something as a reader myself. When I read those those articles, I love the, the transcribed interviews. I mean, I mean, audio recorded interviews are excellent, too. But if you don't have that, you have the transcribed interview. Mm -hmm. And I, I love reading those and hearing what these people actually say rather than what a journalist says about them. So. I thought that would be a great element to it. You have the transcribed interview, you got the pictures of food. I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong. Right. So I really, that was the introduction to it. Then once I interviewed him and his wife, Jess, we, we, uh, my editor greenlit it. He said, go ahead. And we did the interview a couple months later and they spoke, you know, I had my questions about them, but they just spoke so highly about other food trucks and other other people in the industry and just how they're really a community and they're, you know, they've become close with these people you're seeing them at events and, and whatnot. So they've really become close to these individuals over the years. So I, we wind up turning that into a series for, and there's the best New Jersey food trucks, I think it's called series on bestvenge.com. And so that's really how I fell into food writing. Cause as much as I love eating, it wasn't <laughs> something that I was ever strong in and or strong writing about, I should say. And so it, it, and then it, from there, it just, it grew. And now you have a book. Yes. So this is uh, my second book, the New Jersey Food Truck Cookbook. So that's, uh, it's a... <laughs> it kind of feels like they're giving all their trade secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> I know, now, now we have the everyday 
the everyday person just making their <laughs> the fat sandwiches in their kitchens. No, but it's it's it, it, after and meeting a lot of these individuals. I mean, you have you have the ones who just had a casual interest in cooking or or smoking barbecue, and then you have the individuals who worked in restaurants, went to culinary school, grad, you know, graduated from culinary school, and they have these years of experience in the restaurant industry and being head chefs, executive chefs themselves. And then they've opened up these food trucks. So so you really have, and, and then you have people from all different cultures. I mean, even if they didn't go to culinary school, they have cuisine that informs you as the the, the guests or the customers of what their either their childhood was like or what their ancestors were like because these are some recipes that have been passed down for just decades and for generations and so it, it really is just and it, and they're absolutely amazing people like it's all they're all a great community of individuals and cooks themselves and, and business people so the idea i was at a book signing for tony russo he had a new book i think in 2021 dragged into the light and i went to the book signing his book signing at commonplace reader over in yardley and i was talking to him for a little bit and he was asking me about myself which i thought was really cool and we were talking about the, the journalism and stuff and in addition to the food truck series i also do a, a hiking series and a historic series and i thought that might be pretty cool also as a as a book and he he said to kind of start with the food trucks i mean people love food and he pointed me in the direction of arcadia publishing he goes, you could, you know, just sort of replicate the series in a, in a book form. I, I thought that was great. So I, as soon as I got home, I sat down at my desk and I'm like, oh, you know what? Okay, so how am I going to do this? How am I going to pitch this? And then I thought, oh, you know what? They have a ton of recipes. Like, I don't want to steal any of their secret recipes. Madalena's has their, their cheesesteak recipe. Uh, uh, cheesecake recipe, I'm sorry. <laughs> very, very different. Small difference um, there. <laughs> <laughs> so they have their cheesecake recipe. I don't want to take that from them. Brownie bar have brownies i don't want to steal that from them but stuff that would really that they think represents them well so if mm -hmm. somebody made it in their own kitchen and then would want to go go and and hire them for a catering event or go visit them their shop or their uh, food truck in an event so i reach out to my editor uh short shortly after that after i came up with the concept the whole idea that i had for it and he i, I reach out to him as pretty much as a courtesy, just to let him know that this is the idea I had. I was probably going to use some photos and maybe some of the articles and, and uh, interviews for the book as well, because I wanted to feature not all, but some of the same food trucks mm -hmm. and then some new trucks in the book as well. And so he said, uh, he, we decided to go and work on it together. And then uh, over the course of the next year, we secured a book deal. And then I would just meet with a ton of different food truck owners and take photos and interviews and transcribe their recipes as well, or, you know, they'd send them in and, and really just go over everything. And I, I learned so much more about them. And it was a, 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 a long year, but it was, it, it, it really in reinforced, I guess would be the word, uh, my, my, my love of food, my, love, <laughs> my, my interest in food trucks, my love of food. and and that was it, it's really nice to have this this collection of just some of the greatest people in the food business and then also some of the, the best food trucks in our state and probably around the country um in one collection and they be able to share bits of themselves i mean every, everybody really everybody has a different story in there so i i, I can't even if you go into barnes and noble and just you know peruse the book and then check out the food trucks on your own i mean the publisher probably wouldn't be happy that i'm saying <laughs> that. I'm not discouraging anybody from buying the book, but I mean, just absolutely check out the food trucks and the, the New Jersey food truck cookbook. And it's, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It uh, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to talk to these people and really get their whole stories and everything. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to do with Devour NJ is to, to boost their businesses. I hope I can do that, but also to really learn about these people and to kind of, I, I think we're in a, in a time now where we want to spread awareness for any number of things and whether it's uh, mental health that that's you know big and i mean that's something we've we've spoken about already just you know through art mm -hmm. but um we're in a time where we want to spread awareness about a lot of stuff because there's 
just, I mean, there's so many avenues to spread awareness, to spread information. And a lot of times people are doing it solely to make money or to, to, you know, for, for a particular, for a particular political or social reason, we're spreading certain information, but bringing awareness to the, the positivity out there, whether it's through food, music, art, really anything. I, I think that's, I, I think that's really important. So, um, I think I just went off on a, on a random okay. tangent. I, <laughs> I think we're on a whole other subject, but it's it, yeah. The the book is is a cool little collection. And then, if nothing else, I mean, you're you're learning about awesome food trucks that are going to make you salivate for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to ask the question for everybody who's listening to this, which is, and it, because in part I'm not sure if they caught this. You have a day job and you do all of this on top of that. So how do you find the time, especially since you have a little kid? <laughs> that, so that's a question that I myself have asked myself and <laughs> will never be able to answer it because I, I, really, I, I really have no idea. It's, so I'm, I'm fortunate to have a job that I don't necessarily have to take home with me. So it's, it's not, it, it's, you know, you, you do your work and, and it's not something that I have to, um, I, I mean, you're always cognizant. You're always something that we say is that you always represent the agency that you work for, whether you're on or off duty. So that, I mean, that's a whole other story. However, it's, it's not something that they're going to keep me until eight o'clock at night where, right. so, so I'm, I'm fortunate to have to be in that position. And it also enables you, they enable you to take on secondary employment or, or hobbies, activities. And so when I come home, I, I guess, I guess it's, I, I'm trying to think of my routine. I don't, I don't even know. I come home from work and, and I try to spend as much time with my son as possible. And, but he's, he's also a sleepyhead. And then I'm <laughs> fortunate to have just such an incredibly hardworking wife as well. And Christine will, you know, we, we try to divvy up responsibilities around the house and, and with the baby and stuff. And we, you know, uh, we have that. So anytime that she has, maybe she's feeding him because you can't both kind of hold the bottle and, <laughs> and feed them. Then I'll be able to go on social media. I'll be able to look up restaurants and, you know, reach out to them. And, um, a, a lot of, as I'm, as I'm talking about this, I'm remembering that I get up early in the morning. So sometimes I'll, I'll get up to exercise but a lot of the time I just go and I, I do my research. I do my writing. I'll transcribe the interviews. I'll edit photos. And then the baby fortunately goes to bed early when I'm home from work. I, I shouldn't say fortunately because I do enjoy, I do enjoy spending time with him. But uh, he, <laughs> for now, he goes to bed relatively early so I can have a few hours to do the rest of it. On top of that, I get such great help from Christine, who's helping with the site and with other with other uh, responsibilities around the house and with the family and, and really everything. So um, I guess it's, I guess it's something you can't do it alone for sure. And then it's, it's finding that groove, I guess, find, finding that rhythm that works for you. If you can get up early and, and work and if you have time at night too, it's, it's just really finding those. And then weekends, weekends are huge, especially holidays. Mm -hmm. that's uh that's right so right now it sounds like i'm a workaholic <laughs> it's like, yeah, i get up in the morning and i work then i go to work and work and then i get home from work and work and then and then the holidays and the weekends and yeah so it's it's but but you know it, it's really i i picked this and i really went full into this because it's something uh devouring jake because it's something that I can, I can bring my son to events. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, it, you can't bring your kids to work every single day. You get one day a year and then they have to be five years old or so, whatever. It is. And, but every other day to be able to do something with him, even if he's not actively participating, just for him to be there, to be present. I mean, the, the events are so much fun and restaurants are great. You, you know, a lot of them cater to, to children. So, so to be able to bring him, I, I think I have a photo one of uh, like a couple weekends ago, I covered WTF. Where's the food in, <laughs> in Ewing? And uh, he had a Ewing location. Now he's in Pennington. And I brought my son with me and he's five months old and he's in the, in the car seat. And I took a picture of him just on the counter. I was bringing a child to work day. And so it, it, 
you know, he's going to grow and I'm going to be able to take him to more events. He's going to be able to try the food and, and it's, it hopefully is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, to, to find that kind of, I guess, to answer your question to sort of find that blend, to find the way it, it works in your life. I, I think that's kind of how you have to do it. Cause some things are just, I mean, it's like putting two, um, equal ends of a magnet together. They're just going to push apart, but some, at, at some point, two opposite ends, they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're going to attract and that it's going to work out. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm saying right now. And then in a month, I'm going to be like, oh, this is impossible, but <laughs> at least, at least for now it works. So it, it's finding that balance, not even a balance, but just finding the way they kind of mesh together. Well, I think you kind of have hit on the, the perfect, like I'm picturing the center of the Venn diagram, right? Like yeah. the things that you're interested in, plus it's something you can do for fun. You know, it's something you already enjoy doing. And then you're building on that with the creative side and the writing side and the, you know, the book side and and whatever. But I'm also just imagining, because I have nephews who are seven and 10, you know, it's like, yeah, they would be great fun at a, at a food truck festival. You know, I mean, you're going to have a blast as this guy gets older. So I think you may have really hit the sweet spot that makes it all flow together because it's, yeah, technically you're working, but you're having an awful lot of fun while you're doing it. So you're not, you're not really a workaholic. I don't think <laughs> you know, it's just, it just all flows really well. And it sounds like, you know, Christine is really on board and, and helps make it happen. And, you know, with the social posting and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it, it sounds like it's the perfect combination for, for you guys. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, it's extremely helpful to have such a supportive uh, partner, significant other, and which I think, I, I think anybody in my shoes would, would feel the same way if they, if their wife, their husband, their, their significant other are as, as not just supportive, but also enthusiastic about it. I, it's just so encouraging to the point where it's like, I can, I can keep going. I mean, she, she asked me, well, can I help you out with anything? Maybe posting on social media or something. And she goes, whatever, you know, whatever you need and I can learn it. And I, I mean, that was just, that, that was amazing because I, you go into it thinking like, all right, well, I'm doing this kind of by myself, even though, you know, Christine has, has accompanied me to all these events, but it's really just doing the work. Um, was kind of on my shoulders for a while and to have that assistance. And then, like you said, to be able to, in a few years, have fun with him, uh, with my son mm -hmm. at events is going to be great. I think, I, I, I think it's not, not cheating, but it's, I, I, it's a little bit easier for me because it's food. Mm -hmm. So it's lots well, like, I'm going to eat anyway. So I might as well, right. you know, this is, I, I, I got, I got to go to this event. I mean, it's food. I need lunch. I need dinner. Right. I'm, gonna cook something i might as well might as well go go have some fun yeah, with it absolutely it sounds so like it's the, easier that it's the food. perfect setup to me <laughs> and i'm glad that it's working out so well i think that's really really cool and it's encouraging for other people you know go try your thing yes yeah exactly and i mean i, I mean we, we hear especially as writers if there are a lot of writers listening to this you just face so much rejection or, or so many trials and tribulations and we hear about how many times best-selling authors were rejected and and the number of failures that aren't necessarily failures they're just helping you help guide you into where maybe not where you should be going but because i don't want to word it that way but where what's right for you maybe mm -hmm. they're learning experiences they help you develop your craft a bit better develop you know, like grow your passions. And so it's, it's not that I just all of a sudden stumbled on a, on a website. I mean, I've been doing this for nearly a, a decade, which I mean, to some people probably isn't a long time, but I, it's just, you know, I've, I've faced the, the countless rejection and, and, and there have been failures and there have been attempts to do other things. And then it, it's just when I finally found what I, I was more passionate about, and also found um, what, I mean, I mean, I don't like to say that I'm good at it because I still, I mean, I have myself down. I'll still, <laughs> I'll still be like, yeah, I mean, I'm a terrible photographer, but here are a hundred photos of food for you. you just took, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was my, that was my job. That's what I was getting paid for, for a number of years. So uh, at, at least if, even if I'm not good at it, it's something that I was able to, to, to have a passable ability at. And 
So I really kind of put all those, you know, it's that melting pot or that, mm-hmm. that, that you put all, you know, a little bit of, oh, here's a little bit of photography. Here's a little bit of food. Here's a little bit of writing. And then what can I do with this? Oh, here's some social media experience. Okay, I'll make a website. So, so it really, to, to, to kind of summarize that, but it was not, it's, it's not always something that you can stumble upon. You'll hear those stories of people just like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to become, uh, to, to go viral. On, mm-hmm. But now, oh, now I'm acting in Hollywood. So it's, I, I mean, I, I don't even know if we put it to a percentage. What is that, like 0.00001% of people find success that way? But, and even though it does happen, it's more so putting in the work, putting in the time, really leaning into what you're passionate about and, um, and really kind of to finding that niche and, and just, just going for it. Do, do what you want to do within reason. Like we, <laughs> I feel like I have to add that to the end because then somewhere down the line, I'm going to be reading a newsletter article, a news a newspaper article about somebody getting arrested. And it's like, well, I listened to this podcast and Pat Lombardi <laughs> said, you have to do whatever you want to do. And so, yeah, yeah. so that's uh, so within reason, legal, ethical, respectful. <laughs> Stick yeah, <with> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Stick with it. Go for it. Absolutely. Well, Thank you so much. I have really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that it gives people who are listening a whole lot to think about, especially if they have never entertained the idea of trying something that they've really wanted to do. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. I really had a lot of fun. That's our show. My thanks to Patrick Lombardi and of course to you for listening. Please leave a review. There's a link right in your podcast app and tell us about a time when you stuck with something you love. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please pass it on to a friend. Thanks so much. If this episode resonated with you, don't forget to get in touch on any of my social platforms or even via email at nancy at fycuriosity.com and tell me what you loved. And if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now, and you haven't yet signed up for my free email series on six of the most common creative beliefs that are messing you up, please check it out. It'll untangle those myths and help you get rolling again. You can find it at fycuriosity.com and there's also a link right in your podcast app. See you there and see you next week. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. Thanks.